Greetings, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Untangled. And this is Lauren here, continuing my conversation that I began last week with author Jim Robbins, uh, talking about his book, Recover Your Good Heart, Living Free from Religious Guilt and the Shame of Not Good Enough. Welcome, Jim. Hey, Lauren. Thanks for having me back. It's a great conversation. I appreciate that. I'm so glad you could be here again, because last week we really talked about uh, the issue of, of sin and the heart, uh, the, the belief people have that their heart is deceitfully wicked, and we talked about how God has given us a, a new heart, and he set us free from that whole uh, gospel, false gospel we've been taught, the gospel of works, the gospel of not good enough. But we, what we never got into that I really wanted to hit on that you talk so well about in your book is the desires that God gives us. That um, One of the things that you talk about is that God is giving us a new heart. We now have a heart that has His desires. Yeah, and this, this is critical for all kinds of things, um, like discerning God's will. Um, because we have a new heart that has been given to us the moment we entered relationship with Jesus, our heart is now our ally, not our enemy. We no longer have to hold it under suspicion. And because of that, we have a brand new set of desires. Uh, There's sort of a general set of desires and appetites that God gives everyone who who says yes and enters into friendship with Him. But then beyond that, there are very specific desires, specific to our heart, our future, our calling, and our longings. So when when the psalm says, you know, he will give you the desires, de- desires of your heart. Well, that's what the gospel fulfills. Now you really can trust the desires of your heart. Now, there is a timing issue in that um, simply because you have a desire and, and you're sort of, your heart wakes up and says, oh my gosh, I've now discovered what I'm here for. A lot of people will go out and they'll, they'll rush the field and they'll go right into it unprepared. <laughs> Been there, done that. Um, and I'll tell you, like, and you, you can attest to this, there's, there is always a cost to living from your heart. I don't mean that in the sense of a salvation cost or an eternal life. I don't mean that, but, but there is, there will always be a, a a cost to following your desires, and you need to be prepared for that. But but on the 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 more positive side of that is, you now get to live from your heart's desires. And so, but many people say, well, the scripture says, but you know, you're enticed by your desire, and then desire leads leads you astray, and then eventually ends up in death of some sort, even spiritual death. Well, that's true for some desires, but it's not true for all desires. There are different sources of desire. There are the the desires of the flesh. There are the desires that the world whispers to you, the desires that the enemy whispers to you. But then there's the desires of your new heart. That's what we need to pay attention to because the way you – let's take calling, for instance. One of the ways you figure out what your calling is is not just – not only asking, what do I do well and what do I love to do? The question are, is, what is the desire of my heart? And if you've been taught that all desire is to be held under suspicion, you'll never go to that place in your heart. Yet the very cues God is giving you for your calling are written on your heart in the form of your desires. That is awesome. 
And uh, I, I think of how so often one of the ways you talk about how God speaks to our heart, and that's one of the ways we discern his voice is by listening to the desires of our heart, let me let me uh, kind of put this in a, an everyday example. Was um, when when I was I was a youth pastor years ago, and as my wife and I were working with the youth, I kept getting this sense something's wrong, something's missing, and I kept doing this thing, and I was burnt out and fried, and I really felt in my heart I needed to stop. But I kept going because I'm the good Christian. You know, that's, you know, getting back to kind of that gospel of works that we talked about last week. And so I needed to keep going and keep towing the line because I wanted to please God. And I didn't understand that pleasing God is, is for me to follow the desires that he's planted in that new heart that he's given me. Yeah. And if you hadn't listened to those desires... Um, you probably you could still have been stumbling around today. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, when I was a pastor, I could never buy into the scripts that I was being handed. Uh, depending on what church I served, uh, the first churches I had were two solo appointments. I was the pastor of two very small country churches. But then I entered associate pastor appointments of larger churches in Florida. And um, in every circumstance, that in every, in every position that I fulfilled, I, I knew that I wasn't created to fulfill the script I was being handed. You know, and that would vary depending on what church I was in. Here's a list of things you will do because that's what a pastor does, or at oh, least that's, that's what we think a pastor does. Right. And so when I contested that as respectfully as I could, they said, um, and tried to show them that, uh, look, this, this is scriptural. I mean, this even happened in churches that were, tr- were trying to incorporate spiritual gifts inventories into the body of Christ so that, that everyone in the church could figure out, according to their gifts and passions, where they belonged. But somehow the staff was exempt from that. No, this is the script you were handed because these are the holes we have to fill in the system's machinery. Right. Somebody's, got, something, somebody's got to take care of these parts of the machinery and you're the guy. <laughs> oh man! And, and, and I said no. I said no. That's not. And and honestly, that happened every church that I served in, and to the point where um, I sort of had a head to head. Again, I, I tried to respect my my senior while being honest with. I, I don't see that. That's not how God has wired me, and I don't see that in Scripture. Um, scripture wasn't even a category through which he was making his decision. So um, I was brought before what they call the. Um, the, the uh, staff parish committee, which is basically the HR function, where they get a bunch of business people and, and quote, lay people, and um, they're the hiring and firing mechanism of the church. But they were wrapped around this guy's finger. And so they said, here's your job description. Here are the number of hours each week you will commit to it, and here's what you will wear. <laughs> and, I, and I said, um, you know, respectfully – I, I strongly disagree, but out of respect for you, I will do this. And it killed my heart to do that. A month uh, later, I was, I was brought in a month later, and they said, you're fired. The district superintendent called me into her office and said, 
your job is to support the senior pastor. And she had been getting letter upon letter upon letter from people in the congregation saying, you have to take a deeper look at what's going on here. This isn't Jim. And she refused to do that. So she said, you know what? We're removing your credentials. You can't serve as a pastor in the United Methodist system anymore. And I said, you know what? I don't want to anymore. You know, it's amazing your story is so similar to mine because it was the same thing where serving as a youth pastor, I love those young people still to this day. They're so dear to my heart. Mm. And, uh, and, but the, the church, the, or, or I hate using the word church because church is, you know, the body of Christ. Um, right. but the organization I was a part of, um, they they had an agenda and they wanted to see a growing, thriving, growing, quote unquote, thriving youth group as in numbers. Mm. And I really felt strongly that what was on my heart was these was really loving these kids and laying a foundation and and helping them learn to minister to one another. And uh, and they would come to me every week with with pamphlets for events going on and Magic Mountain trips or you know Six Flags trips and uh, <laughs> mission trips to Mexico and and that one even made me feel guilty because it's like, oh, I'm a bad person because I'm not taking them on a mission trip. And, uh, you know, because you're supposed to do that every spring break when you're a youth pastor, if you're a good one, quote, unquote. <laughs> so, yeah. so I was, uh, anyway, I, uh, this, I had this constant nagging of I'm not doing enough and I need to be doing more. And yet my heart was just to connect with them on a relational level. And finally, what, what ended up happening, well, well I ended up at, at some, at one point, um, just following father in this path, li- listening to my heart. Um, I remember we had this one youth meeting where it came to a real positive head where, where uh, three kids decide they want to be baptized. And we had two kids give their lives to Christ. And my wife and I were just going, this is incredible. You know, this is what we've sown for. And then within three days, I was rebuked and slapped down by the leadership for not following their program. And I was wow. even told, you are, quote, you are not a pastor. And, uh, and I was like, I was, I'm not trying to be. <laughs> I'm just somehow following my heart threatened their authority structure. It was never my intent. And, uh, and basically, same what, what you went through, a similar thing where, where um, God, basically, my wife and I stepped away to, to be with Father and find out what's going on here. And he goes, he goes you're not following your heart. You're, he goes, you're just filling a position. And mm. and it was exactly what you were talking about. That here's the machinery, here's the religious structure, and and that we're we're competing with these other uh, organizations, religious groups in the area, and so we need these structures in place. And and since you have these gifts, you need to line up to fill this this role. And and at that point, God just went, "You need to stop." Yeah, and that's really a dehumanizing uh, and diminishing way to look at people. It's it's like it's it's putting the the um, structure of the institution first to say here are the holes. Let's make somebody fit that instead of saying what are the gifts these people have and let's release them to go do that. Um, and and so really, so many good people are um, are really sort of broken on the rocks of this thing called um, the, the institutional form of ministry that could offer so much, but because they want to live from their heart and are being told, no, this is the script that you will follow, they're absolutely crushed. And it's amazing that any of those people come out of that with anything left. Um, I'll, I'll give you another example how Desire operates um, 
in the realm of how, how I came to choose my spouse. Um, when I was dating, uh, friends would tell me, you know, you're, you're really kind of picky, Jim, when it comes to what you're looking for in a spouse. Um, <laughs> you know, I want to look at their lives and saying, well, <laughs> okay, um, well, how did you settle? <laughs> and, uh, but I, I didn't. I didn't. I refrained from saying that. And uh, so I had this um, every Wednesday. I, I prayed for my wife, and I, it wasn't just Lord bring me a wife. Um, it was I, I prayed also for her needs because I knew she existed somewhere. I hadn't met her yet, right. but, but I knew I knew she existed somewhere. So why not pray for her? But beyond that, I, I prayed. I had this. I had this list. Okay, this list of desires. Here's what I'm really looking for in a wife, and here's what I know my heart would really resonate with. Um, and I knew that that list wasn't sort of completely set in stone. I knew that there were some things that were more important than others. And um, after I met my wife, Lynn, uh, it was probably within a few months afterwards, I, I don't even remember the context, but almost out of nowhere, God sort of whispers over my right shoulder. For some reason, that's where I hear God is over my right shoulder. <laughs> I don't know why, um, because maybe I'm right dominant. I, I don't know. But um, this, this it wasn't words as an audible, but it doesn't really matter. That's not the point. It was really clearly that God was saying, here she is, Jim. You remember the, all those Wednesdays, year after year, you prayed for very specific things, qualities, things that would resonate with you in, in, a, in a wife. And here she is. And by the way, Jim, that's not just what you wanted. It's what I wanted for you. And right. so there's this conjoining of desires where, whoa, my desires really were what God wanted for me? And, and so what it, it taught me, it was, so whenever, I, whenever I'm stuck in this position of, you know, my heart just doesn't matter to God. You know, if if I'm really in a bad place and I'm thinking, you know, I just, what I want doesn't seem to matter. You know, I, I, I should probably just go back to doing my duty. Right. <laughs> um, so God keeps bringing me back to that. No, 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 no. Look, this is how you knew that Lynn was the that Lynn was right for you. And I don't mean, you know, right in some forensic sense, but right in the, in the sense that your marriage would resonate and you two would have a common ground and not just common ground, but the desires of your heart would be together and would be one. This is how you knew is because you were in touch with what you wanted. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's so cool. And you know, what's so funny is once again, our stories are so similar. You know, we, we could almost make people think that th this is the doctrine of how to get a good wife, because I actually, <laughs> I actually did the same thing. And we're not saying go do this. And this is the formula. But I actually did the same thing. I remember my senior year of high school, I was working at a, at a Christian camp, and I made a list of what I wanted in a, in a wife. And, uh, and Lily is exactly everything that was on that list. And, and that is so incredible that, you know, I think it just tears down and it's so the, the, the image of this, this demanding God that we have, and it makes us see that he truly is a loving father. It's like how, who, what parent doesn't look at a desire their child has and say, I, I want to give this to you. But like you said, sometimes there's a, a maturity issue there or something like I can't, I can't give my daughter the keys to the car until she has her driver's license, you know, mm -hmm. but there's that, that desire that I want to, I want to give give you what what is the desire of your heart yeah and you know once we can get 
the religiosity stripped away from that. And, and you know, th- there's a scripture verse that says, um, you know, may God grant you the desires of your heart. Well, if you're still believing that your heart is deceitfully wicked or prone to wander like we talked about last week, um, how, how would you ever expect the desires of that deceitfully wicked heart to line up with God? I mean, it's, we, and so what we do is we don't really think through what we're actually believing, and and we then end up mistrusting the very things that could lead us to what we most want, the desires of our heart. And I, I can't tell you how much hope that has given me over the years since I've discovered that. Um, when things just get crushingly difficult, to remember. Oh, yeah. I remember back then when God said, yeah, I wanted to give you the desires of your heart, and here it is. And by, by the way, for the women in the audience, uh, it's not like you and I are talking about window shopping for a wife and, right. you, you know, you know or, or a mail-order catalog where we've got this checklist. No, it's, it's, uh, people would often tell me, you know, you – you know, you're going to have enough things in common anyway. You need to have some things that are different. Well, I got to tell you, I mean, um, as much as you can have in common, that's probably a good thing. It's probably not a liability to have a lot of desires in common because you're going to be different just by the fact that you're a man and a woman. Exactly. So, so there's nothing wrong with wanting certain attributes in each other um, because you know that's what – um, resonates with you. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But most people dismiss the desire th- desires of their heart because they've been taught to dismiss the desires of their heart. They haven't been taught discernment to say, God, where are these desires coming from? Are they the desires of my new heart or are they coming from some other place? They've simply thrown it all out. See, that... That is so important that it's like if I were to just take a big highlighter and highlight anything that's podcast, it's it's what you were just saying right there about that the whole thing is is God speaks to us today, and He speaks to us most often through our heart, through that desire. I've, I've when I was a youth pastor, I'd talk about that. It's it's often a lack of peace that we sense, you know, or or something. It's and really you feel it in your heart. It's this this doesn't line up. Something's not sitting right here. And I found nine times out of ten, when we think feel like something's wrong, something usually is. <laughs> and and we need to learn to pay attention to that because it, it God would is is sparing us from something that could be really hurtful and it would save us from a world of hurt if we would just learn every time we feel something is going against our heart to stop. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give you an example. Um, I, uh, I moved my family up from Florida. Um, we're actually from the Northeast originally and I met my wife down in Florida. We had kids. They were born down in Florida. Um, and we wanted to move back to the Northeast. And it was a long process, a lot, a lot of years of hoping, praying fervently, being willing to trust God for some things that we, we hadn't yet. And so we moved back here. And at, at one point I said, after five years, God, did I blow this? I, I mean, did we not hear you right five years ago when you, when you seemed to be giving your blessing for us to relocate to this particular place? And you know, God in his kindness just came to me and said, Jim, you didn't blow anything. 
because it was, a, it, it was a doorway for me to get you back to New England because I've called you to this geographical area. And secondly, I wanted you to know that what you wanted mattered to me. You said five years ago that you wanted to move to this town, um, and I wanted to honor that. There was nothing wrong with wanting what you wanted. What you wanted. And so, no, you didn't blow this at all. This is just kind of a stepping stone to the next thing. But, but there's no issue of sin here. There's no issue of disobedience here. I wanted you to know that what you wanted five years ago, uh, in, in terms of the place you wanted to live, was okay. And, and so I gave that to you. Yeah. And, and, and so, so I have, so that's now what I look forward to is, yeah, uh, you know, I say, God, it's not that I don't bring my desires before God and ask for discernment. I, I mean, it's not that at all. I continue to bring desires before God and say, God, this is what I'd really love. Help me to sift out what are the desires of my heart from the desires of the flesh or any, any, any other location that they could stem from. And 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 uh, lead me in the direction of the desires of my heart. Well, and I think we we sometimes believe this myth that following the desires of our heart and and listening to the direction that we feel God leading us through in our heart, we we think it means it's going to be you know all roses and sunshine. That it it, it means things are going to get better all the time. And often you know I, I look at Jesus and I look at Paul. You know Paul listen, listening to his heart. The, the prophet stood before him and said, "They're going to bind you and throw you in prison, Paul." And everyone's urging him not to go to Jerusalem. This is God's warning, saying, "Don't go to Jerusalem." And Paul goes, "Why are you making me all cry? I have to go." God was just showing him, this is what's going to happen to you. But but Paul knew in his heart, that's what I'm supposed to do. And God in his kindness was preparing him for what he was going to face. And and I look at years ago, um, I had a, where it was in my heart to start a business. And I felt God's peace to go do it and went out and did it. And then in 2008 was when the economy collapsed and went through the whole collapse of the economy, lost our house, went through all this stuff that was so bad. And like you, Jim, it's like, did I do something wrong? Did I miss God here? But the interesting thing was, was through that, what felt like total failure to me, I think you even hit on this in your book, was that failure, God will use failure to refine desire. And... And in that midst of that failure, it was interesting because I saw, you know, the business wasn't exactly what I wanted. There's actually a deeper desire there, but it's almost like it was an itch I had to scratch. And God, just like you said, in his goodness said, I'm going to let you do this. And then you're going to find me in the midst of the wreck as well. You know, there's there's the 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 verse that talks about where you knew me as as God or as provider, but you're going to know me as as husband. And there was a there was a bonding that happened to me in that hurt and in that pain, and I had to dig into a deeper place of grace in him because there's something there's certain levels of failure or regret that you hit that I just kept living with the woulda coulda shoulda shouldas, you know I should have done this I should have done that and but it's like but I really saw felt like this was God. And and so there was this healing that had to take place where just because things didn't line up the way I planned and, and the way the world would count success doesn't mean I missed God. Because sometimes in the train wreck, you find Jesus at a level you never would have before. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's not like God is standing there saying, you know what, you need to learn a lesson here, son. Um, I know this is what you want, but I know it's not going to work out for you, so I am going to use this 
to teach you a lesson. Right. And, and And it's sort of the harsh taskmaster view of God. And it's not that we can't learn a lesson. It's not that there isn't anything for us to learn. But this idea that, you know what, if you're going to do what you want to do, son, fine. But I tell you what, you're going to learn a lesson in this. <laughs> right. It's not, it's not that at all. It's no. It's like no, 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 Jim. There, there, you, you didn't, you didn't mess this up. I'm not blaming you for anything. In fact, I wanted you to know that what you wanted really matters to me. That was the point of what God was saying. It wasn't that. Uh, okay, you decided to go your own way, so you're going to learn a lesson. No, it was no. You followed your heart, and that was a good thing. Now, it didn't work out like you had imagined it would. But you know what? There's more. I have more for you. And and the whole thing is just because you're on a path, it, you're, it takes you through a valley. The path's not over yet. And And that was the thing that my wife and I look at in amazement is if we had never gone through – the valley that that we went through with that business, we would have never ended up here in Texas, because this was back in Sacramento, where we know that God clearly and made crystal clear that we're supposed to be. We, we looked at if we had done things just according, you know, the woulda, coulda, shouldas, you know, if we calculated and planned everything that, that it, it just according to human wisdom would have lined everything up, I'd still be there in Sacramento not living the desire of my heart. Mm. Yeah, and and like you like you mentioned that there there is always a cost to living from our heart's desires because I don't I don't want to um, I don't want to not say that I mean because it's so enticing to say oh yes I finally I get to live from my desires and yes you do get to live from your desires now but we we have to we'd be doing people disservice if we didn't say there's there's a there's a cost to it be, because of the kind of story you live in you live in this absolutely raging war where you have an enemy who is vested in taking you down crushing your desires crushing your heart yeah. disabling you and you have the brokenness of other people you have your own wounds from the past and the present, you know, so I don't want to give people this idea that once you set a course for following your harsh desires, everything works out just like you wanted it to. <laughs> right. But, but I want to say the alternative is if you don't live from the desires of your heart, the only alternative is resignation. And and this this what you do is you you literally give up parts of your heart, and say you know what either, um, either this will never happen. I'll never find what I'm looking for. Um, or God isn't interested in giving it to me. Or I'm too screwed up t- t- for God to give this to me. You know you you end up in resignation, saying you know what then I'm just not going to want it anymore. Right. And so you give up. You give up part of that that vein of gold that one author calls it, as he describes the inner glory that we've been given with God. You give part of that up. And so, yes, it's going to cost you, but it will cost your heart more if you come to the conclusion that it just doesn't matter. Yeah, it's like how you talk about in your book how uh, the, the issue of unity and, and conformity, and we, we touched on that. Um, but one of the things is, I, I love this saying I heard a long time ago, it's uh, that obedience isn't so much measured by what it costs us, but what it costs others. 
because I found that when you follow your heart, more often than not, you're going to be happy with the direction you're going. It's going to be other people that are going to be upset and disappointed because you're not going with their agenda. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, this is an entire podcast in itself. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, there is a sense in which following your heart will leave you lonely. Um, because when you choose, it, it's sort of like the difference between um, a healthy person and an unhealthy person. Um, unhealthy people will try to conform healthy people to their disease. And if you're a healthy person, you don't let that happen, right? It's the same thing with desires. When you decide, I'm going to live from my heart, it automatically draws boundary lines. It draws a line in the sand, even if you don't mean it to, because other people are not willing to go where you're going. And other people um, have not awoken to what is true about them, what is sort of... Um, lying underneath the surface ready to be awakened. And so you're right. It's going to cost you. It may cost you relationships, and you may have no intention whatsoever for that to happen. But when you start living out of your particular glory, the desires of your heart and your calling, it, it draws a line in the sand that says, I'm going this way. And, and the, the, the crushing, heartbreaking reality is not everyone will want to go there with you. Right. Wow. That's a that that's pretty intense but at the same time it's encouraging because there are probably people listening to this who've who've felt like they're maybe on the verge of shutting down their heart or they've been ignoring their heart or in the name of conformity or or looking at people who are titled as leaders or maybe they're in a leadership position and they they're just like like what you went through Jim of of just feeling like I'm following the the machinery or I'm following what other people are telling me it's expected of me but I'm not being who I am in Christ and this is it's actually really freeing to realize that that it's okay if I have to go against the grain it it, it doesn't mean I'm I'm walking away from God it means I'm walking toward him toward him if I'm following my heart Right. And it doesn't mean that you don't value relationships. It doesn't mean that you don't love community. It doesn't mean you're sort of this, this lone ranger kind of person. It doesn't mean any of that at all. Um, I mean, Jesus, by the very way he lived, drew lines in the sand. He wasn't trying to say, look, if you're not going with me, then tough. See you later. I'm heading this way. But there, there was a sense, and, and I don't mean by going with me that everyone needs to follow my path. I don't mean that at all. But when you embrace the reality of the new heart you've been given and your new identity, and others around you aren't ready to do that, there, there will be some tension created in that relationship um, where if they're, not, if they're not ready to really live from their new heart, and their new desires, suddenly you've somehow um, created a distance you never intended. And, this, and this, um, this tension in a relationship that you never wanted to be there. And that's happened uh, a, bun a bunch of times to us. And, you know, I've said to my wife sometimes, you know, when, when I'm in that discouraged place, I say, you know, it would have it been much easier if I just shut my mouth, followed the script, and stayed as a church pastor. It would have been it would have been easier to do that, but I would have given up my heart to do that, and I'm just not willing to do that. 
Right. Wow. I, I think those are good words of encouragement for anybody who's in that place right now. Well, that's all the time we have. Um, I want to close out this podcast with a, another piece of uh, uh, music from your from your solo piano CD, Jim, if that's okay. Oh, that's great. I really appreciate that, Lauren. Okay. Well, this is from your CD, Only Two Things. Uh, this song is o- called also Only Two Things. But before we go, um, can you let people know where they can get your book and your CD? Sure. Um, they can get my book at thegoodandnobleheart.com. That's my author and writing and podcasting side of what I do, thegoodandnobleheart.com. And the music side of what I do, the solo piano um, CD is available at jimrobbinspiano.com. And there are links for purchasing. You can hear tracks, uh, read reviews, that kind of thing. So thanks. I really appreciate that. Well, Jim, we're going to have to have you back again. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. That'd it's be... been a great conversation. Oh, absolutely. I, I I totally loved it. So, all right. We'll talk to everybody next time.